You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Welcome, everybody. Uh, again, those in the room, those uh, on our podcast. If you didn't know, we do have a podcast for our church. Uh, you can just go to iTunes and look up Trinity Lutheran Church, or Trinity Hudson actually takes you there, too. And uh, you could also get there through our website um, and just click on Messages, and it has all the media. Uh, we're going to be trying to put more and more of the things that happen around the life of our church on our media site, so whenever we have a woman's tea and there's a speaker or the men's event and Ben Griffin came in and spoke, you know, we want to make sure that that gets uh, up and available for us, not only in our congregation, but for, for people that maybe you want to be inviting. You say, hey, go and listen to the podcast. This gives you a little flavor of, of what happened. So uh, we'll be more intentional about putting those things um, on the website. Uh, we are in part three of our series called Disciples, and if, or Disciple, and if you're just here visiting or, or this is the first time you're kind of joining us, basically uh, you're listening in on, on not a teaching series, but really a training series for us as Christ followers. That's what really a disciple means. Disciple is, is, is the, sort of the churchy word or the Bible word for somebody who follows somebody else, and in our case it's we follow uh, Jesus. And we, because he's our savior, and we try to live and mold our lives to the way that Jesus would have us live uh, out in the world. And the question that we've sort, we've been asking the last couple of weeks uh, is this: Since the world has changed since Jesus was on earth, have the principles of being a disciple changed? Have the principles of how we are called to live out our faith in the world and and amongst each other as a church has that changed at all? And actually, the answer is. The principles, no. Now, the application of, of how we live out our life is, is different. Obviously, you know, Jesus didn't have social media back then. He didn't have, you know, the, there wasn't technology the way we have it. We're, you know, we're more mobile as a society. But the principles of being a disciple, of being a Christ follower, hasn't changed since what Jesus had given to us uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, and, uh, and so this series is, is about that timeless and compelling vision for us, and it's more so a reminder for us as Christ followers of, okay, if, if Jesus is saying these things, what are, the, what are the things that I really need to remember on what, what are the key things about being a disciple? And just to kind of backtrack a little bit a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago we talked about one of the aspects or the marks of being a Christ follower, a disciple, is that, that a disciple simply follows Jesus' teachings, right? We're in the Word, we're looking at what he, how He taught His disciples and, and the examples and the models of how He interre, interrelated to people. And so we take those teachings and, and uh, we live out, try and live out our, live out our life within the, the context, the template of His teachings. And when we allow Jesus to have authority over us, because that's really what we're talking about, is living the way He wants, not the way that we want necessarily, but when we allow Jesus to have authority over us, we begin to live in a way, in the way that you were originally created to live. Then last week we talked about bearing fruit. Remember that as we follow Jesus' teachings, as we really seek to, to mold our life and our attitude and our mind and our heart to how Jesus would have us live, that that bears fruit. But it isn't about doing things. It's about being. It's not we're human beings. 
not human doings, right? And that being part is that relationship, that beautiful walking relationship that we have with God through Christ. And because of that, that fruit is the, that's bared out in our life uh, isn't necessarily about success or power or achievement, but it's more so about an increase in joy and in peace and actually even in impact because God works through us to impact the world. So today we're talking about something Jesus tells us to do that is, as, as Kristen said earlier, it's the landmark of being a disciple. Yet, many disciples are outshined by people who don't know Jesus in this area. In fact, one of the greatest complaints against church people, uh, against the church by people outside the church, is the fact that we are all, what? Oh good, you don't know. Hypocrites. We're all, that, that's one of the biggest things. There's, there's a couple of them. One of them is all the, all the church wants is our, is our money, um, and they're just a bunch of hypocrites. So that one area that we're going to be learning about a little bit more deeply about today is that area called love. In fact, the title of today is called Love All. Ready? Say that with me. Love All. Right. And if we're looking at being the mark of a disciple or what is a Christ follower, this is the main marker of being a disciple it's to love people. That's it. In fact, when Jesus was, on, uh, was, was teaching and, and, and living 2,000 years ago, he, you know, the, the, living the, the godly life is so simple. But over time, people added all these things. They had 616 rules and regulations and commandments. You can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. Jesus whittles, whittles it down to about th- three when he was uh, in... Uh, when he was around, and now we're going to be taking a look at how he even whittles it down even more, more to what's the one command, and we'll see that it's to love people. We talk about it, we tell everyone else about it, and we even have songs about loving people, right? If you've ever been to camp, you know this song. I don't know if they still do it, but we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Okay, raise your hand. Anybody know that one? Okay, good. Let's sing it together. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you go through, you know, we're one in the Spirit, we're one in the Lord, we're one in the and you get to the chorus, and they'll know we are Christians by our yard signs, by our yard signs, right? Is that how the song goes? Yeah, that's, that, a lot of times we live that way. They, they know they're, we're Christians by our yard signs. I want everybody who drives up by my house to know exactly what I'm against. I'm against. Against gay marriage, I'm against abortion. I'm against liberals. I'm against—you just name it—and we have yard signs for everything. Or maybe it's—they'll know we're Christians by our protests. Come on, Mabel, let's wake up, kids. Got a 6 a.m. showtime down at the uh, state capitol. We're going to protest everything that comes out of that place. Or maybe it's—we'll know we're Christians by our Facebook rants. Not even going to go to that one. Next. They'll know they're Christians by our judgmentalism. It's amazing to me how many people who aren't Christians call us as a, gr- as a group judgmental. And yet, I don't, in small pockets, yes, mostly I don't find Christians to be all that judgmental. I think it's, there's a foundation behind it uh, of love. 
But those people that are judgmental, those people that have the yard signs and all of those kinds of things, Andy Stanley said this one thing that I just love. He says, it's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Isn't that true in our society? It's so easy to just make a point. I could stand up here and make points all day long, right? But am I making a difference? That's what us pastors, that's what us preachers have to ask all the time. It's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. But here's what's different. Our ability to love as Christ followers, to show patience and kindness, forgiveness to those who are, who like, who are like us and who are unlike us, those who disagree with us, who agree with us, the ability to show that kind of love to those kinds of people is the single greatest witness we have to those who are not yet Christian. Our ability to love people who either society has cast out or who we, whether growing up or whatever, have prejudice against or whatever it is, our ability to love people not like us is the single mark and the greatest witness that we have of Jesus Christ. God gave me a little bit of an example of this. Um, so many of you know, we live in a cul-de-sac, and there's nine houses, and um, uh, Mission Field right on our cul-de-sac. And two years ago, a young couple moved in at the end of the cul-de-sac, and they are so cute. They're just young, they're cute, they're just, just cute. And um, this weekend, they actually got married, uh, and they are a Hmong couple, and if you've ever been and know the process of a Hmong wedding ceremony, holy cow, it's huge and long. In fact, here's the couple. That's them. Uh, that's Penne and then Fran right here. And this gentleman in the middle is a, um, an arbitrator. And they have the two families that actually uh, go back and forth to figure out a dowry. You know, that's old school, but they still do that on... Um, the dowry and how much money the one family will pay to the other family. And what happens in the Hmong culture is if one clan, if 50, 60, 100 years ago there was one husband that was mean to the wife, that will be brought up through the generations and had to be paid for. So the couple getting married realizes we've got to, it's not just us, it's a huge community of things. So they invited us over um, to their, not to the wedding part. This was one of the celebrations afterwards. And, um, you know, honestly, uh, yeah, there's one more actually in August that we're going to go to. And this is, she just, she wants to do an American celebration kind of thing. And so it's at a country, he didn't want to pay for the country club, South Shore, or I think it's called South Shore Country Club, whatever it is. And so... They're just going to show up and walk down the wedding venue and just pretend it's a wedding and not tell anybody. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so they're going to stand up and they don't, they're just going to show up, a bunch of people, and she's going to be in her dress, white, you know, American dress and all that. So, so cool. Um, but anyway, so we're out there and it's about 7.30 and they, the whole wedding party comes from the actual kind of ceremony-ish thing. They, they, don't, they don't have a ceremony, it's just this deliberation and debate between the two families to make it work out. Then they came over to Fran's house and, and he, they, that's the one in our, in our neighborhood. And we're out there, we're on the driveway and we're talking and you know, we're the tallest people there. You know? um, but it's beautiful people, fascinating culture. I never knew anything about it. And at about 8 o'clock, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't know, for you, I, I don't have a Saturday night, 
as a pastor because I'm up super early, you know, about 8 o'clock, 8.30, I'm starting to head home and get ready to, to hit the hay. So about 8 o'clock, 8.30, just about to go, wow, this was great, you guys. And Fran goes, okay, everybody, now let's go inside the house for dinner. Oh. <laughs> and this, again, nobody speaks English, very few people speak English, so I'm struggling to even understand any of this. And so I just, I kind of raised my hand and said, guys, you know, I'm a pastor, and um, I got to get up early and go to church, so I'm just going to go to bed and decline your invitation to one of the most important events in your life, my non-Christian young neighbor. <laughs> no, of course I didn't say that. I'm like, okay, so we go up, me and my neighbor, and um, it was just, it just was funny, because my neighbor is a little bit taller than me, African-American man, and so we are so out of place in this Asian culture. Um, but we're standing there, and not, this, his counterpart on, the, on Fran's side takes me and Ron, my neighbor, and he says, you guys sit at this, this part of the table. And we're like, no, no, and this is now a table all of men um, and, and two dignitaries on this side of the table, and the only two chairs left were on the opposite side. And... So we end up, oh, okay, it's just two empty chairs. These are places of, of hi, a hierarchy. It's a place of dignitary. So now Ron and I, who have known nothing about the Hmong culture, are called to do all these toasts and celebrations. And I'm like, I, okay. But it was crazy. But I went through the cultural thing. Now, again, it, it, I bring that up because, first of all, it was just a fascinating Friday and Saturday, and it will be in a couple of weeks. But I bring that up in the context of love because here's a culture that I have no, know nothing about, and here is a situation I know nothing about, and I'm called to be in this, you know, toasting and thanking and, and the family, welcoming them that officially to the neighborhood, and the loving thing to do would be to walk through all of that. And even in the blessings and the toasting, I just said, may God give you you know, your household uh, fruitfulness um, as, you know, he uh, invades, how you the word invades, invades your house uh, with his blessing. And they don't believe in Christ. They don't know anything about it. But who knows what God's going to do with that. So our ability to show love to people who are different from us, maybe not Christian, maybe who are even anti-Christian, reflects the, the Jesus who was also insulted and turned away. And ultimately, when you love people well, God is more apt to use your love to change people's lives around you and to be drawn into knowing Him because you're a Christian, because you carry the message of Jesus. You carry the Holy Spirit inside of you. So how do we do this? What is, how do we love people well? And it's not that hard. It really isn't that hard. It isn't an emotional thing. It's just, it's a very simple thing that Jesus tells his disciples, actually, uh, during the Last Supper. So we're going to be in John 13, just a couple of verses. Uh, and um, let me set, set this up. This is a profound and amazing scene. It's the, and it's in all four Gospels, which isn't every story of Jesus, but it's in all four Gospels where Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper, and they, they gather around, they're celebrating the meal that we celebrate, uh, in essence, and um, they're celebrating this meal, and right at the very beginning, he walks in, and he starts washing people's feet, 
He's like, that's not for you, Jesus. You're the dignitary. You're the head of the table. You don't wash people's feet. And he goes, no, no, no. I serve. That's what leaders do. That's what love is, is serving. And so they get into this big kind of argument, and Jesus uses it as a teaching opportunity and flips the hierarchical model uh, uh, for those who are in power that they are supposed to be servants. Those in power serve and not to be served. And it's like he's going, guys, you just don't get it. Three years you've been with me, and I'm, tr- I'm creating a kingdom culture here of not being served, but serving in, our, in your family together and out into the world. And then, at least in John's gospel, they're having the meal and they're sitting there and it's as if Jesus was like, I'm going to liven this party up. Judas, you're going to betray me. Can you imagine in the middle of a dinner, somebody just says, you know what? You're going to be kicked out of the family. Just, why? I just shocked Judas, you're going to betray me. And then all these things happen, and Jesus, you know, they, there's confusion among the disciples, and John's gospel reads this, then Jesus told, told Judas, hurry up and go do what you're going to do. And the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about. The text says, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was the treasurer, and this is, I'm reading scripture, Jesus was the treasurer of the group, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food, or... Some thought he was going to go and give money to the poor. And then the thing about Judas that, I, that kind of gives me chills that the Bible says, so Judas left at once and it was night. Judas's life at that point, he steps into night. And so the backdrop of, of what we're going to look at really quickly here um, is first Jesus washing their feet, confusion, Judas, all these weird things happening. He institutes the Lord's Supper. Most likely Judas was not part of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He probably left after the, the second cup of blessing during the meal part um, and where that conversation happened. Peter is saying all these weird, just all this big context. Uh, and so then Jesus says this, and this is our verse, uh, the verse starting at verse 31. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. Since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. So this indicated to the disciples that, wow, Jesus is just about to say something really, really important. So I can imagine at this point the whole room goes super quiet. And everybody kind of leans on their cushion, leans in to hear what Jesus has to say. And so Jesus says this then. He starts out by an endearing term, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. This is their leader. This is their teacher. This is someone who they love. And yet now he's saying he's going to be gone? You know, we know the end of the story, but he's like, I, I don't know, where are you going? What's happening? That's what the disciples are saying. And then he says this, he says, so because I'm going to be leaving, and everyone's like, okay, what's the last thing you're going to tell me before you leave? So, he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, why is this new? Of all the things you've said, of all the things we know in the, in the Old Testament, why, Jesus, is this new? And the command isn't, a, isn't really new, as you're going to hear, because we know what the command is. 
But the application of what I'm about to give you, Jesus says, is so radical, it's going to change the world. Jesus says this, love each other. Love each other. Oh, we do, Jesus, the disciples are saying. Right? Didn't you see, you know, we were all together. You know, we've always loved each other. Remember Jesus when we were out in the boat and, you know, you told us to fish on the other side of the boat and we, we said, you're crazy, but we're going to do it anyway. And we pull up all these fish and all, the, all, all of our buddies came over and helped. That's, isn't that love? Isn't that love? But Jesus says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Matthew, Jesus says, looks at Matthew. Remember when I found you? Do you remember what you were? And he goes, yes, sir, I was a tax collector. And Peter steps up, yeah, we weren't very happy about you adding him into the, the group. And Jesus is like, yeah, Peter, Peter, hold on. Matthew, you were a tax collector, and I invited you into our group. And yes, I, I remember that. And Jesus says, the grace I extended to you extend to other people. The grace that Jesus extends to us extend to other people. They would remember this example because 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes and they go out and they just start talking about the love of Christ. They just start, start talking about what God has done. They start talking about how, he, how Jesus served them. And so as a result, we now live in grace and freedom. The love that the disciples showed then and what we show as Christians is that agape love, right? That love that loves God, loves others. That love that is, that is patient and kind. It seeks to serve. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. How many of you have relationships that whenever things get tense, somebody brings up, oh yeah, last year. Oh yeah, remember when you did this to me? Or how many of you in an argument say, yeah, but you did this? The kind of love that Jesus has for us and that he has us as disciples to portray is that love that doesn't keep a rec record of wrongs, especially to those who don't know Jesus. It's a love that, is, that ultimately we've been shown because remember what the Bible says, while you and I were anti-God, while we were sinners and enemies of God, Jesus died for us. That's agape love. And so Jesus says, this is a new command, love each other just as I have loved you. And there is a, there's a beautiful result to this, and it's this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Imagine what our world would look like, first of all, if the media would show the good things Christians did, but imagine if we as a people starting in this place would go out with the love of Christ unfettered, unhindered, and love in the way that Jesus loved us sacrificially. Imagine what your families would look like, what your neighborhoods would look like, what your ball clubs would look like, what your work would look like. And so, God loved me in Christ, and so we then can love others 
in Christ. And so anytime you're going to respond with a Facebook post or a yard sign or a protest or judgmentalism, I want to give you one thing to think about before that response happens, and it's this. Respond to them like God responded to me. Before you yell at your spouse, remember, I was wrong too. At some point, God forgave me. I can respond in grace to my spouse. Before you get angry at the TV, it's that whatever, all the social things, remember, I too have thoughts of anger and bitterness, and God forgave me and responds to me in grace. Now, it doesn't mean not doing anything, but it's how is your response formed in a way that would emulate Christ? And as we do that as disciples, our attitudes change, our relationships change, our world can change as we reflect who God made us to be as disciples of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. Father, in grace and compassion, you, um, un- we didn't deserve it, but you did it anyway. You sent your son Jesus to die for us, uh, and that is the ultimate act of love. In fact, you even said it in the Bible, God, that um, no greater love that, than there is than this, that, that somebody laid down their life for somebody else, and that's what you did, Father, in Christ. And so, God, there may be us here in the room or listening on the podcast that are really struggling with a certain relationship, and this person is just uh, considered now an enemy of us. Help us to respond, God, how can I respond in a way that reflects your love to them through me? How can I take what you have forgiven in me and forgive them in the same way? Father, whatever that looks like in our context this week, remind us of that. Remind us that, as Jesus says, love one another, that we actually take that and we apply it as disciples of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for